We are in a summer series. Uh, we're looking at a slightly unusual little subject title. To be honest, it gives us the opportunity to preach on anything we like, really. <laughs> but we've called it Not Just for Sunday School. Okay? And we've been looking at some great stories. Um, some weeks ago now, we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've looked at Zacchaeus. Um, we've, uh, we've looked at different stories. You'll be, you'll be aware of the different things. Last week, I picked possibly one of the most famous stories in the Bible and then struggled and thought, what am I going to say that nobody's ever heard before? But we looked at David and Goliath. Um, but it's been good. It's been good. And uh, I really, um, thanks to Lauren for sharing this morning. I, on Monday, I was saying to Lauren and, and, and to Jackie, oh, I don't... I, I was, I don't know what to do on Sunday. It, it should have been Ashley. Ashley was supposed to be speaking today, but I completely forgot he would still be at New Day. So, um, uh, so forgive me. Those of you who heard me three weeks in a row, um, uh, I, I hope we can, I can keep your attention. But, um, uh, <laughs> um, but I, I just really felt, we were just talking and I was chatting with Lauren. And Isn't it wonderful to have a daughter like that who can share in that way? Just, wow. <laughs> Sorry, where did that come from? Um, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, we were talking about Jesus encountering people and healing people. And uh, we were talking about that and we've seen the measure of that in our own family life and prayed into some of that in different ways over the years. And I wanted to look at one of the stories that often gets used in Sunday school where Jesus encounters someone and they get healed. And of course, there's quite a few of those stories. So initially, I thought, I can't just pick one, you know. Um, and so first of all, I started with um, the, probably one of the most famous Sunday school to- stories, the friends who carry their friends on the stretcher. You know the one. They want to encounter Jesus and the paralyzed man on the stretcher. Of course, when they get there, the house is crammed. So they have to go up on the, the flat roof, the Middle Eastern house, and then break apart the lath and plaster, as it were, and lower him down. I always think about the mess that there would have been in that whole context. But anyway, um, then there's the man, of course, with leprosy, or more than, more than one different men who came to Jesus with leprosy. Um, that one, that very famous line, if you can make me, uh, if, yes, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Many years ago, I used to work for the Bible Society, and Bible Society had a Bible reading plan, a Bible listening plan called Faith Comes by Hearing. Did anybody have that? Cassettes? A set of cassettes? Yeah, they see. Or uh, who's more modern? Who had CDs? But if you listen very carefully to that set, particularly the NIV, you will recognize a voice um, on there. And one of my lines was, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That I still practice it now. But anyway, um, I probably said it better than that. But uh, a friend of ours was traveling across France some years ago, and they were, they were listening to Faith Comes by Hearing in their car, and they said, suddenly you appeared in our car in France. But, uh, so that was another one. Then, of course, there's Jairus and his young daughter. That often is drawn out in Sunday school. Seemingly, she had died. Then there's that amazing story of the centurion and his servant. You know, the, the one, he's a Roman, so he's not of the people of God in that sense. But this is a man who's a believer. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will, he- will be healed. 
Because Jesus was astonished, wasn't he? Jesus said, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say it and it will happen. So there's all sorts of different stories. But as I prayed and as I felt led, this morning I want to look at another very famous story. And it's the story of Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. So we're going to read the story of Bartimaeus. Okay, so this comes just after the fascinating little account of James and John who come to Jesus in their boldness and ask him if they can sit on his left and his right in glory. And uh, that creates a bit of an interesting discussion amongst all the disciples. Um, But anyway, on they go. And then, verse 46, they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. Does this remind you of a story I read to you a few weeks ago? Together with a large crowd, they were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We love your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight and understanding to the spirit of Jesus and the truth that is in this story. Because we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the first point I just want to point out to us is this. Bartimaeus persevered in the face of discouragement. Bartimaeus persevered in the face of discouragement. Here we've got the busy main road out of the city. It's the very same one, perhaps, that uh, Zacchaeus ran along and climbed up the tree. Um, But it's a busy main road, but it's certainly a good place for a, a beggar to sit. People are coming and going all the time. And Jesus comes with his disciples and this large crowd is following him. Very, very similar story to Zacchaeus. But this man is quite different to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is hiding away. We looked at that two or three weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that online. Um, But he's hiding away. He just wants to see. But there's something more in this beggar called Bartimaeus. He's blind and probably been blind for a very long time. But because of his blindness, he would have developed, uh, highly developed hearing. He would have known what was going on. He knows that someone special is about to pass by. And perhaps initially this is an opportunity uh, to, to get some arms, as it used to be called, some money, some help. But actually, very quickly, he picks up on the wind, as it were, of everything that people are saying, that it's Jesus of Nazareth. Now, clearly, Bartimaeus has heard of him. We don't know how, but we 
know that he knew his reputation. More than that, Bartimaeus had some insight into who Jesus really was. See, this is not just Jesus of Nazareth. It's not some, just some gifted teacher from down the road. Because gifted teachers would come into the city and they would go on down the road, for sure. But this is not just one of those. This is Jesus. This is the son of David. It's a very Jewish phrase. A very messianic phrase. You see, it was clearly known and understood that the Messiah would come from the line of King David, the one that we were talking about as the little boy last week uh, before Goliath. But the Messiah would come down that Davidic line by the time of Bartimaeus. That was the expectation. The son of David carried with it an understanding, this is God's chosen one. This is God's anointed one. And somehow, we don't know how, Bartimaeus had caught that. He'd caught it in his heart. Perhaps his declaration was more of hope and, and, and expectation than full recognition. Um, we don't know. But nevertheless, he's shouting out with faith. I believe we can say that today. And that's, that's one of the things I want to underline to us. He's shouting out with faith. There is certainly an expectation. I want to say this. Just because people get a sense of who Jesus is... It doesn't necessarily follow that people will reach out to him, yet alone call out to him. There are many friends, neighbours, family, colleagues, those we live amongst, who know about Jesus in different ways, but it doesn't necessarily follow that they will reach out to him or call out to him. See, I think a lot depends on how desperate people are. A lot depends on coming to a realization that I am lost outside of God, that I can't save myself. We live in a world, we live in a society where we are taught all the time to seek to try and help ourselves. Self-help is a massive, massive um, business all over our world. And so people are looking into themselves to try and find help, or they're looking for that expert around them that will help them. But they're not looking to their creator, their maker, their sustainer, the one who we have been worshipping today. And so people, it's not until they get desperate sometimes. And you say, why Why is it that I've had to get desperate? It's not until I've got nothing else to lean on that I will then turn to Jesus. It's not until we get to the end of our own resources and are willing to surrender to the lordship of Jesus that he then steps in with the offer of salvation. We need to be aware of that. But it would be wrong also, though, to think that it's just about us. I do want to say that there is a work of the Spirit that is going on in our lives. You see, our very ability to respond is a sovereign work of God. That's why we pray. That's why we pray for our neighbours, our colleagues, our friends, our family. We're praying that God might be at work in their lives. Faith is imparted by the Spirit. Revelation comes. Quite literally, the lights get turned on. The lights get turned on. We recognise our needs. That's what's going on with people as they come, as they begin to cry out. 
And that's why we need to be listening out uh, for those around us, neighbours, friends, family, colleague. Sometimes it will come just as a gentle question. Can I just ask you why? What's your opinion on? And there's an opportunity then to follow up. But anyway, even before Bartimaeus' physical eyes have been opened, the Holy Spirit is already at work opening his spiritual eyes. And he's a man on a mission. He's going after this encounter with Jesus. He's going after it with a passion. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know how many of you, uh, some of you, I know one or two, uh, used to come to Stonely Bible Week many, many years ago, part of New Frontiers, their big conference. But I always remember a, a sermon from many years ago by a man called Ken Gott, the shout that stopped God. The shout that stopped God. This is a man who is proper going after God. There's something he's caught, a revelation. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Now we're going to come to the willingness of Jesus in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question today. How hungry are you for God? Amen. How desperate for a touch of his hands. Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was coming. He's not about to let this moment pass him by. He did the only thing that this blind beggar amongst this crowd could do. He shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. I want to ask you today, are you prepared to shout? Are you prepared to shout? I, just so you don't panic, I'm not going to ask you to shout today. But I do remember Ken Gott at that Bible conference all those years ago. I don't know how many of us were in that massive barn, thousands of us. And he said, come on, let's begin to shout. And people began to shout and call out to God. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit, I remember it so clearly, the Holy Spirit sweeping in to that meeting and encountering people. How hungry are you? Are you prepared to shout? Are you prepared to be undignified in order that you might lay hold of what Jesus has for you. Think of the story with the, of the lady who had been bleeding for many years. She pushes through, doesn't she? She pushes through until she, if I can just touch his, his, his clothes, anything, just touch something, and she pushes through. You know, some of us are even frightened to ask for prayer because I might look a bit undignified. <laughs> Do you know that one? I know that one. I know it's like, well, what, what will people think? Why is Mark asking for prayer? He's supposed to be super spiritual and have it all sorted. Why is, I should ask for prayer continuously is the answer to that. Because I'm not super spiritual and I don't have it all sorted. But inside I'm thinking, oh, if I ask for prayer, what will people think? Do you know that one? What will they think? We have a prayer team that's almost always available every Sunday after church for anyone. But in any context. But... Am I prepared to shout? Have you got desperate enough to say, I, if, if you don't come through for me, Lord, I'm lost? He was prepared to shout. I believe he was desperate. How desperate are you today? I invite you to call on the Lord. 
Another reason that for being prepared to shout that there may well be opposition to overcome. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. We have an enemy. We do have an enemy. And he will use any means that he can to dissuade us. Do we know that? To put us off, to change our minds. He will even use those immediately around us. He will use members of the church against one another or use family and friends, if he can, to dissuade us, to put us off. Now, I came across this quote, but forgive me, I don't know where it came from, but I thought it was so, so good. Um, it'll have to remain anonymous, but hopefully the person who said it uh, gets the glory, or to the glory goes to the Lord in that sense. Faith that is seeking God's miraculous help must over, often overcome a hostile crowd. Faith that is seeking God's miraculous help must often overcome a hostile crowd. Now, some of this crowd was very obvious, but in a moment I'm also going to mention things that are perhaps not quite so obvious. But there was, there was a hostility to his, his non-religiousness, his non-togetherness. Remember, this is a beggar, so this is someone who's outside He's not holy, he's not clean, he's not able to come to the temple, he's not able to do any of those things. He's an outsider. But some of us may well have faced real opposition over the years. We're thinking about those, apparently there's hundreds of teenagers who have given their lives to Christ at New Day this week. And there are others at New Wine, Soul Survivor, and so on. Many, many thousands of teenagers. But one of the realities is, and it will have been for you also, is that as they come home, and for you sometimes when you share, and you may have had this, it's church? What do you want to go there for? There's no such thing as God's. That might be a phrase. Or church? They're going to put a whole load of rules and regulations on you. Or even, I remember when I was leading the youth work many years ago and involved, parents would sometimes say, are you sure you haven't joined a cult? And there's, there's real hostility there can be to that radical desire to pursue the lordship of Jesus. And uh, words will come. We need to pray for these young people, don't we? We need to pray. But some of you will remember the hostility that you've had and faced or maybe still continue to face with family, friends, colleagues, and so on. But also, friends can be helpful. Amen? So, uh, as I say, I didn't pick up the story of the five men or four men carrying their friend, uh, the fifth, fifth man. But friends may be very helpful. Uh, Luke, Mark chapter 2, Luke chapter 5. Friends can really come alongside us and support us. And never forget is a phrase I've even used with one or two of you. But many years ago, uh, when I was uh, in my early 20s, my mum died very suddenly. So I've shared some of that before. She was 45, but she literally dropped down and, and died. It was very sudden, very dramatic. But the pastor that I was working with at the time as a young student, he said to me, he said, Mark, we're so sorry, we're praying for you. And I said, oh yeah, thank you so much. And he stopped me in my tracks. He said, no, 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 you, you're not listening. We're praying for you. And I sort of stopped and I looked him in the eye and I said, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I do understand, I appreciate that. He said, no, you're not hearing me. We are praying for you. And I sort of looked at him and he said, you're numb. You don't even know how to pray. You don't know what to pray. 
You don't know how to think. You, one minute you're up and you, she loved Jesus, so you know she's with him, but the next minute you're overwhelmed with grief. We are praying for you instead of you, as well as you. We are praying for you. And it was so profound, I've never forgotten it many years ago now. And I've shared that with others in that sense of, we are doing something that in this moment you would like to do, but you just can't. We are doing it for you. And uh, friends are profound in that sense. I want to ask you a question this morning. Lots of questions for us to reflect on. Okay. Are we a hindering or a helpful friend? Are we a hindering or a helpful friend? How are we when others are challenged and struggling? How are we towards them? What are we saying? How are we to those around Lots of little questions for us to think about as we go through. So in this instance, many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. Did that put him off? Absolutely not. Forgive me, microphone and everyone. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. (laughs) I believe there's an encouragement for some of you this morning. Even as I was preparing, just felt this for some of you to hear this morning. Do not give up. Do not give up. Keep going after the Lord. Keep shouting. Keep calling. Maybe you feel your prayers are not being heard. Perhaps you feel you're up up against real opposition, whether that be in family life, in business, uh, whether that be spiritually, you just feel you're up against um, opposition. I want to encourage you, do not give up. In fact, I want to say to some of you, it's time to shout again. Time to shout again. Shout again. Jesus, son of David, come again. Shout again. Go after him with a fresh passion, fresh determination. In Luke 18, Jesus taught the disciples the parable of the persistent widow. Do you remember what he said? So that they would always pray and not give up. Are you tempted to give up? Sometimes we are, aren't we? I want to encourage you this morning, don't give up. Don't give up. Take encouragement from the perseverance of Bartimaeus in the face of discouragement. Persevering prayer breaks through. It breaks through. It does break through. So he persevered in the face of discouragement. We also need to take encouragement from the fact that Bartimaeus discovered the willingness of Jesus. So he did persevere, but praise God for the willingness of Jesus. Just to note, for those of you who like Monty Python, I don't know as a Christian whether I'm supposed to or not, but it does feel like there's a very Monty Python moment here. He's like, be quiet, be quiet, shut up. Oh, cheer up, come on, he's calling you. Anyway, I don't know if it's me, but it just feels very Monty Python in that moment. It's like, you know, literally this swing. They go, come on, he wants to see you. You A minute later, they've been telling him to shut up. I want to remind us again this morning, we heard it, we heard it prophetically coming this morning, the call of God that is upon our lives. We have a God that is for us. He's a holy God, he hates sin, but he loves sinners. Hallelujah. Amen. All right? He loves. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
For the joy of seeing you and I saved and healed, Jesus endured the cross. He scorned its shame. He went through all that we just celebrated as we celebrate again over communion. God is for us. Vital for us to understand this. Jesus is so much more willing to reach to us than we are to call out to him. So important for us to know that. He's so much more willing. So when you're saying, I'm fighting through, I don't think he's hearing. I absolutely believe he is hearing. It may be a battle, there may be a struggle, there may be things coming against us, but he's willing to reach out to us much more than we are to call to him. We don't have to have it all together to come to him. Amen? We don't have to have it all together. The fact is, there is nothing that we can bring except that faith in his ability, except in turning to him and putting our faith, trusting. We don't bring anything else. There's nothing else to bring. Matthew chapter 8, the man with leprosy, as I said to you, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What does Jesus say? I am willing, be clean. Wonderful response of the heart, the very heart of Jesus. Lord, could you possibly, might you, me, you know, with all of my background and all that I've done, I am willing, be clean. I died for each one of you. I died for each one of you. Immediately, it says in that instance, he was cured of his leprosy. So whether it be the great crowds or the individual blind beggars sat in the dust and the roadside, the Lord Jesus is full of compassion for the lost, for the hurting, for the broken. He's constantly reaching out. He's constantly responding. So brothers and sisters, please be encouraged by the willingness of Jesus today. Just want to point out one other little thing here in this story. Certainly the sort of thing that might not get noticed if you were doing just telling the story quickly in a Sunday school context. It seems to be very small, but actually I think it is very significant. And I certainly think you can make it very significant. Verse 50, it says, throwing his cloak aside, he came to Jesus. You ever notice that? Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. You think, well, that's quite insignificant. You know, it's a bit obvious. I want to say this. To a blind man, in this time, in this situation, his cloak would have almost been his everything. Everything. Almost like his home. This is a man who sat. He may have had a house. He may have had a shack. He may have had an extension piece to someone else's house that he could sit in to get out of the weather. But his cloak would have been his everything. It was his covering. It was his security. It was his protection. It was even his identity. The cloak of, uh, of Bartimaeus would have been his identity. I often think when I'm thinking about this, and John, I think about the Basutu people in Lesotho. One of the things they're famous for are their blankets. And uh, what's the name of that film that's just come out? Black Panther, if you're into any of those. But Black Panther, a lot of that was uh, filmed in Lesotho. And one of the things you see them is wearing these blankets. And the Basutu people, even the poorest of the poor right up in the mountains of Lesotho, looking after the cattle and so on, each one of them has a Basotho blanket. 
And it's their everything. It's their shelter, it's their home, it's their covering. It's also their identity because each blanket has different markings on it and it will identify their tribe and so on. But it says here, he threw his cloak, he threw it off. Threw his cloak aside. This is a man who is pursuing Jesus. And I believe as he's pursuing Jesus, he's displaying faith. Remember, he's blind. If he throws his cloak aside, it's quite possible he's not going to find it again. Quite possible. In fact, somebody might come along and say, what is this? And just it'd be trash, kicked into the, into the ditch and gone or thrown away, burnt, whatever. His shout has stopped the son of David. It's stopped the Messiah in his tracks. He's not going to let anything hinder him from coming to Jesus. And he throws off his cloak. Another question. What might we be holding on to that would hinder us from coming to Jesus? There are two types of people generally, aren't they? Those who like to throw things away and those who don't like to throw things away. Hands up those who like to throw things away. Hands up those who don't like to throw things away. (laughs) Yeah, you can feel it, can't you? I'm like, oh, it's always tricky throwing things away. The thing is, I'm, as you've probably already gathered, I'm better than I used to be. The problem is you like to keep them just in case. It's important. And I proved my time, proved my point many, many times because when I've kept it, therefore, it has a really useful use and I can demonstrate the useful use that it has because I kept it. (laughs) But eventually, quite often, it has to be thrown away. More seriously, what are those things in my life that I'm holding on to? Maybe it's unforgiveness. I'm not going to let them go. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said to me? I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on to that. Maybe it's an area of finance. Just in case. Just know. The Lord's saying, trust me. Trust me. I'm just in case. can be different things for different ones of us. Things to do with our identity. Maybe it's a title. Maybe it's a role. Been talking quite a lot with my dad. My dad's now 80, but he's, he's, his brain is fine, but his body won't let him do what he wants to do anymore. And he's been having, the last couple of years, having to give up all sorts of roles and responsibilities that he, that he had. And it, it's, it's been hard. It's been hard for him to do that. But he wants to keep pursuing the Lord. He wants to keep persevering with as much as he can. What might we be holding on to that would hinder us from coming to Jesus? It's also linked to a very interesting question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus that actually Paul, our dear brother, uh, Paul spoke on at some length uh, last summer. So I encourage you to go and look at that if you want to pick up this fully. But I just want to pick up again this question because Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Remember that, Paul? Spoke on that. It was at least a year ago now. What do you want me to do for you? Well, this is a bit odd, isn't it? This is Jesus. Surely he knew what the issue was. Well, quite possibly. But clearly, Jesus needed to clarify what he actually wanted. 
So this is another element in all of this. You see, up to this point, all that Bartimaeus had actually asked for was mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The truth is that mercy could have manifested itself, could have been given in a whole number of different directions. Bartimaeus had to put into words what he really wanted. You know, some, for some of us, we need to do that. We need to actually declare it. We need to speak it out. Bartimaeus had to put into words what he really wanted. Jesus was giving him the opportunity to speak, to speak out what his real need was. Some of you remember we had a visitor with us uh, some months ago now, our dear friend uh, Angela Kem. She came. One of the lessons I learned from Angela, every time that people were, she would go to pray for someone, and I learned this, and you, you'll find this of me sometimes, I'm sure, she, uh, Angela would always say, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Not what do you want me to do, or what you want me to pray, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And then it almost arrests people when she would say it, It makes you voice what you're really thinking. And she would say, and I experienced it when I stood with her praying for many people time and time again, you might think that the person is going to say one thing and actually they say something else when they actually get to voice what it is that they're really feeling. What do you want Jesus to do for you? It makes you voice what you're really thinking. Just to say that phrase... Bless me, or I want Jesus to bless me, or we, we say bless one another. I want to encourage us to think about what does that really mean? What does it mean to ask for the good of God, the peace of God, the grace and the mercy of God? Let's, let's ask for those things. Let's say them. And also, when we are blessing one another, which is such a wonderful subject, and uh, I've got a book that Joe and Joyce have given me, is on the whole subject of blessing. But one of the things about it is thinking about the intention of what is it? What is it we're actually doing? Oh, bless you. What, what, what are we saying? The might and the glory of that God that we were talking about this morning, worshipping, we're inviting the blessing of God, the presence and power and grace of God to come upon a person. So let's use words. Let's use these words. What are we asking for? Are you clear on what it is you really want? And then I want to say, if you actually got what you were asking for, would you be pleased? Perhaps more importantly, would you be ready for the implications? This was something that Paul picked up on last year. In John chapter 5, you remember, Jesus asks this strange question of the man who'd been lying by the pool for 38 years waiting to get healed. And Jesus says to him, Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And at one level, you think that's such a strange question. Bartimaeus, what do you want? To a a man who's been unwell for 38 years, do you want to get well? But cure has its implications. Someone who's been ill for 38 years, they've developed a, a pattern, a way of life, a way of thinking, how they would cope with each day, each week, each month, each year. He would know what he could do and what he couldn't do. He he would know those who were happy to help, where he would get resources, and they would know where to find him. Once he was healed, everything would change. So Jesus was asking the man in John 5, are you prepared for this change? Are you actually prepared for change? So encounter with Jesus does involve transformation. I want to say that this morning. Encountering Jesus involves transformation. 
Revolution, change of government. That's one of the reasons why many people stand against Jesus. They don't want that transformation. They don't want that revolution. They don't want that change of lordship, of government. Do we really want what Jesus has for us? Are we prepared for it? Do we want it on our terms? And we believe in a God who hears the cry of our hearts, who's willing who says, what do you want me to do for you? says that this morning. But we need to know that that may well also mean change. And we may not be ready or willing for that change. When Jesus met with the man who'd been healed by the pool, he met with him later on, saw him a bit later on, and he said something very challenging to that man. He said, leave your life of sin or something worse may happen. What do we want Jesus to do for us today? So just as I, literally as I finish, Bartimaeus encountered the power of God. When we call out, when we reach out, he will respond and the question will come, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, I want to see, said Bartimaeus. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now I want to be very, very honest with you right now about this verse. I'm always honest with you, but this verse, I'm going to be honest about how I feel about some parts of the Bible. Because when you read some parts of the Bible, they are very challenging. This verse is very challenging for me, and I'll tell you why. You see, the words of Jesus here, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. You see, I absolutely believe that Jesus heals today. I pray for healing. I want to pray for healing this morning. But I would definitely, when I'm praying and when I'm talking about it, I would be thinking and probably saying, at least in my head, if not out through my mouth, the words of Peter in Acts chapter 3, verse 16. It is by the faith in the name of Jesus that this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. In other words, whenever I'm praying or thinking about this, I would find myself saying, it's not my faith that heals. It's the Lord's. It's in the power of his name. Do you understand? Are you, are you with me? It's the power of his name that heals. Now, I'm sure many of you would understand it's it's my pastoral concern in, my, in myself, particularly when it takes people down the road where they find themselves saying, well, it's my fault. If only I had more faith. I've talked with some of you about that. It must be me. There must be something wrong with me. If I had more faith, I would be healed. But I don't actually believe that that is right. I don't believe that's what Jesus means here. Now, healing is a very big subject. We're not going to go off into that today. What I need to be clear about, and it's very clear right through Scripture, is that faith is clearly involved, very clearly involved. And certainly in this instance, and there are others, like that of the lady who had been bleeding for many years, who pushed through the crowd to touch Jesus, in Bartimaeus, it was their faith. Jesus says, your faith. But it wasn't faith in his faith. It wasn't faith in himself. What's he calling out? Jesus, son of David. 
But he's calling out with faith. Undoubtedly, he's pushing through. He's crying out. So there was something in them, certainly in these instances, in the power of Jesus, of their faith in the power of Jesus that brought about their healing. However, on other occasions, it seems that it was the faith of another person on behalf of the sick person. Like maybe the centurion and his servant. It seems as though his servant was very sick, but the centurion had faith. Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word. Jesus said, I've not found faith like this in all Israel. This centurion had faith that was working through Jesus and being imparted to his servant. So sometimes it's the person themselves. Sometimes it's another person Perhaps the men who were carrying their friend, they certainly seem to have a fair amount of faith. They're prepared to rip open the roof of the house and and lower him down. Jairus and his family thought that his daughter was dead. So she didn't have much faith, did she, in that moment. But others were. And then Jesus, of course, came into the house. Certainly faith in Jesus is at the very heart of it. But sometimes there are verses that I have to really wrestle with and and challenge myself about. So at the same time, there are those that we pray for today. And they don't get physically healed. We continue to pray for them. There will be those of you here in this room today who would long to be healed. And yet, at the moment, in God's purposes, you're not healed. Now, there are reasons for that. I use that phrase, God's purposes, advisedly. I don't understand it all. I don't have all the answers, but I will continue to pray. What I do know is that we need to be real about it. We can't pretend that there aren't those who are unwell around us. We're not just going to brush it under the carpet, but we're going to come to Jesus and we're going to say, would you grow faith in us? Would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you help us? We need to catch something very clearly this morning. The Lord Jesus is in the business of saving, restoring, and healing, spiritually and physically. Bartimaeus gives us a good example of someone who persevered in the face of discouragement. He was prepared to shout, And when the willing heart of the Saviour responded to him, he was prepared to let go of the things that he put his security in and put into words what he really needed. He threw off his cloak and and he walked to Jesus. And undoubtedly his faith unlocked the power of God. Can I invite you to stand? Maybe one or two of the worship team can just help us to respond. I'd love us just, as we finish right now, to respond to this word. Let's just, maybe if you feel comfortable, close your eyes or just be in reflection. God's really been at, I believe the Holy Spirit's been at work this morning in all sorts of ways. We've had lots of provocations, lots of things being said to us. I want to ask you a question. Are you hungry for God? I believe that the Holy Spirit is here to meet with us this morning. I believe that Spirit of Jesus that would say, come, is here for you. Call him. Call him. Let him come. It's an invitation to 
shout. I'm not necessarily asking you to shout physically, but with your voice, but I do want to say that there's space here at the front right now. I just felt this morning it would be good. Some of us need to step out and respond. It's our way of shouting. I'm just going to come. I'm going to step out because I need a fresh touch of the Spirit. I need a fresh touch of God. I'm going to throw off some of the securities that I would put my hope in and I'm going to come to Jesus. I want to invite you to come this morning. Just stand. I'd love to pray with you. How hungry are you? Are you you desperate? Have you got to the end of your own resources? It's an invitation this morning to press through. We have a saviour who's saying, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Are we ready for the implications? Ready for that change of government? There is a power from on high that is available to every single one of us this morning. It's an invitation to, to come. I just want to highlight to you that after Bartimaeus had been healed, it says that he followed Jesus along the road. When we encounter Jesus, there's an invitation to follow. 